are in a classroom standing in front of 27 kindergartners and fresh out of college yourself. Then you're ad-libbing into a camera while running on a treadmill or lifting weights, motivating millions of Peloton clients around the world. And now, every fall Saturday morning, you're broadcasting live while surrounded by thousands of crazed football fans as a brand new member of the college game day team. My guest has met all these opportunities and challenges and many others with enthusiasm, confidence, and authenticity. Today, I've got Jess Sims. So Jess, you're experiencing some of the most manic energy in television as a new member of the College Game Day cast. The energy is pretty unique and you're right out there among the people, mostly students, Many of them have been up all night. Many of them are hyped to represent their school and get on camera and see you up close. So how has that been in, in year one for you? I mean, you hit the nail on the head right there. That manic but beautiful energy that you can really only get at game day. Um, I'm thrown, like, it's funny. When I was first told, oh, yeah, you're going to be in the middle in the octagon. And I'm like, the octagons, I'm looking for something that has, like, you know, eight sides. <laughs> and I, I see this big circle that's in the middle, like, in the middle of the crowd. And I'm like, that's. That's not it. Oh my goodness. Thank goodness. It's not me. There's no eight sides. It's a circle. And then Jimmy G's like, no, no, that's the octagon. And I'm like, that's a circle. And that is wild. Um, but some of my favorite, <laughs> favorite memories have been in that octagon specifically just, uh, this past weekend in Tennessee, I got to hold the puppy. Um, it might be a new mascot to be, uh, and his name was Topper and it was like the highlight of the whole show for me. So is that the new little smoky blue tick yes. hound that they have? Oh, that's that is a highlight. That's cool. Your Three love of dogs comes together there. <laughs> exactly, all the worlds colliding right at the beginning. You know, I didn't I didn't know it was called the octagon. It wasn't called that when I, I hosted the show. But the octagon is sort of synonymous with approving yourself. <laughs> And taking punishment, dishing out punishment. So I hope it hasn't been that literal. Well, when you put it that way, that's <laughs> hilarious. But no, it's been amazing. I, the crowds are, I can't even put it into words, honestly, Chris. It, it's just this energy that, honestly, I miss. I went to a small um, college. It was actually pretty much the same size as my high school. And I always, that was the one big regret, I guess you could say, is not going to that huge school. So I really think that this is my second chance to be able to go to all of these huge schools. That's what's neat. I mean, you bring an energy that helps even people that are veterans at this see it through your eyes, see it with a fresh eye, because you hadn't been to Knoxville for a big game, to Clemson for a big game. And and most of the people watching haven't been there either in person. So I think being able to convey that will also show what's unique, because that's what that's what the fun part of the job is. It's not just screaming kids in different color shirts. There's something about each campus it's a, it's a different energy and it's your job and the show's job to bring that home. Yes. And oh my gosh, that's the other part that I absolutely love about the job too. As soon as we get the location, which is not much earlier than when the whole world knows, um, or at least for me. And so as soon as I get it, I'm like, okay, book the flights. And then I'm like, all right, what is unique about this school? And I Google traditions, the get all the mascots, the colors, what's new with the coaches, the quarterbacks, you know, all that stuff. And it's, it's just become this really nice routine for me on Sundays. And I really look forward to it every week. And you're down there much more with the people than the guys on the set. If people aren't familiar with the geography of college game day, there's the set and there's a net behind the set because we've had to put a net up because <laughs> some people like to throw stuff and that's saved our lives a few times, but you're out there with no net, very, very close. Someone is walking through the crowd. Um, and that's, 
that's an interesting experience because we'll get to your Peloton background and you're used to being around energy, but it's a little bit different when they're like arms reach and, and you don't know what they're going to do sometimes. Right. Yeah. I mean, so far, knock on wood, everyone's been very respectful and we have great security on the ground, but it's been every, every kid and every adult, because it's not the majority, like you said, are, you know, students at the schools, but a lot of alumni come in. And so it's been really, really nice. Uh, I get signs myself, which still blows my mind because game day is known for the signs and everyone's like, be careful of the signs. Like there are some like wild ones. I'm like, okay, let me see. And I get so much support from the Peloton community. Um, one quote that I've been saying since I started is you don't have to, you get to. So there's a crew of people that have come together based off of that quote and by taking my classes. And they've kind of organized wherever the school is that we're going to each week, they organize who and what they're going to bring to each of the campuses and the signs that they bring. Like Jess is the only 10 I see. You don't have to be a vol, you get to be a vol. Um, it's just really, really amazing to see my world collide in a lot of ways. We'll get to the Peloton community and what's cool about that. But I did notice in your comments when you announced that you were going to be going on game day, how many of the people that know you as an instructor and feel that connection with you, we just went crazy with support and, and enthusiasm. And so of your fellow Peloton instructors, I'm taking a Matt Wilpers class the other day and it was later in a Saturday after he watched you on game day and he, wow. he gave you a shout out. That's kind of neat. That Honestly, Chris, like it takes my breath away. Like I really have to stop and be like, wow, why me? Like, why was I chosen for this? Because the amount of support that I get from Peloton and it's, it's a two-way street. You know, so many people say, Jess, you motivate me. You're the reason why I've lost this weight, why I, you know, got through my treatment for whatever illness I'm going through or, you know, job loss, personal loss. Um, but it really works both ways. And I'm growing up in front of everyone. Like I started four years ago, literally, um, I launched in November of 2018. So it's been four years just about. Um, and I've grown tremendously as a person. And so I think the thing that really makes me so relatable to everyone is that I am very vulnerable with what I'm working on. And I always say like, I'm far from perfect. Uh, the reason why I know what to say to you is because I know I have to say it to myself too. And so it kind of just creates a sense of camaraderie and community. And it's not me standing on a soapbox and saying, you should do this. It's like, if you're going through this, I'm also going through this. This is what I'm trying. This is what I'm working on with my life coach. This is what I'm practicing. Let's do these hard things together. And it's been really empowering on both sides of the street. Definitely want to get back to Peloton. Listen, there are so many different non-traditional ways to get into over-the-air television. Um, being a Peloton instructor is certainly one of them. How, how did the opportunity come about to make that leap to game day? Yeah, so I, um, let's see. So yeah, so it, yeah, I never thought like, okay, I want to be on college game day. It's just not something that I've, I've thought of or thought that it would even be in my wheelhouse. But I am essentially a host while I'm running, walking, cycling, lifting, doing what stretching, leading a class, looking at 10 different cameras, connecting with viewers at home. And so through that, the viewers at home are members. They are coaches of teams. They're owners of teams and leagues and conferences and things like that. And so um, the WNBA, specifically the New York Liberty, reached out to me and they asked me if I was interested in doing in-arena hosting. And they said, you know, obviously it's, it's the best of both worlds. You're looking at a camera, but you're also getting everyone super, super excited in the arena. And so we would love for you to do that. So I've been doing that now for two years. Uh, and then after one year of doing that, the Big East uh, Women's Basketball Tournament reached out and they said, hey, we take your classes. We love your classes. We love your energy. You used to play college basketball. Um, would you come and host that? And so I'm like, yes. And so all these opportunities that are just making sense, Chris, like they're not anything that feels forced. It's just like, 
wow, yeah, that makes sense for me to do that because I'm so passionate about women's sports specifically, but about sports in general. And I love getting people energized um, and feeling good. And so through those experiences, um, I started working with an agency. I'm signed with Excel Sports. Um, and my agent said, you know, I want you to meet with someone at ESPN just to kind of chat with them and see if there's anything, you know, that they're looking for, or maybe now in the future. So I met with someone and had this conversation. It was just an intro, get to know you. And we shook hands at the end and said, all right, like, we'll keep in touch if there's anything that we see that could be a good fit. And then like not even two weeks later, they reached out and asked me to come to Bristol uh, to meet with the whole team. And it was for college game day. What was your reaction when that, that gig was presented to you? It, it feels very natural. It feels very authentic, but it's still different. It's still a different, it's a different way to express some of the same things you're talking about. What, what was your reaction? I mean, do you just dive right into these new challenges without any trepidation and well, just, <laughs> so it's interesting. I think that I've been training for this, Chris. Like this is something that I've been training my mind. And when you train your mind and you change your lifestyle and your habits, it doesn't really matter what your goal is. Your goal could be anything. So goals are kind of sure they're nice to provide clarity, but and it, it's kind of like a means to help you figure out what habits and what you need to be working on in the current. But transferable skills are really what gets you from point A to point B and, and how, allows you to enjoy it in between. And it was perfect timing for me because specifically I had just run the Boston Marathon. So this was back at the end of April. So I met with um, the guy from ESPN two days after I had run the marathon and the runner's high is real. And I just had this, <laughs> I, but it was weird. It was this runner's high, but it wasn't this high enthusiastic energy. It was this sense of calm because everything that happened to me on the marathon day was supposed to happen to me. I surrendered to everything. So every little inconvenience and every little advantage, I was like, I'll take it. I'll take it. This is happening. Surrender. Enjoy this moment. It's getting a little chilly. Enjoy this moment. Cause when you turn the corner, the sun might be blaring and it might be really hot again, you know? And so I just, I've been practicing surrender. Um, and when you practice surrender with preparation, amazing, amazing things happen. And you realize that the universe is working for you and the universe is happening for you, not to you. So you kind of get rid of this victim mentality and this, oh my gosh, I don't know if this is for me mentality and you just kind of accept. And so when I took that meeting, had that great conversation, I didn't have any expectations. And then when I was invited to Bristol, I was like, well, I have been watching ESPN my whole life. Uh, so to even just go to the campus is gonna be such a great experience. If nothing comes of this, I will be able to say that I went to ESPN's Bristol campus. And so I just have this immense, sense of gratitude. Um, and so I, I just had the best time with everyone. And it, after I met with the four guys that I was uh, asked to meet with, I was walking around a campus, we were going to grab lunch. And I ran into like three or four people that take my Peloton classes. And they were like, Oh, my gosh, are you going to work here? You'd be such a great fit for this show or for this. And so it was just so affirming and so validating. And I was just like, Wow, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And to your point, Chris, Yes, it's different. Football, I will never say is basketball. I'll never say it's soccer or lacrosse, the other two sports that I played competitively. But as Kobe Bryant said, it's the same mentality, but just a different arena. So you're able to apply it when you do the work. Yeah, I mean, I, we could go on and on. We're so much in the same frequency about things like gratitude and acceptance to the point where people listening to this would, would certainly roll their eyes. But I do <laughs> want to circle back to that a little bit later. That could be, maybe be our, our mic drop. But Authenticity is what I always say when people ask me, what's the success of game day? How has it grown and blossomed over 
over 25 years, and you do bring an authenticity, so you do fit in right away with that. You are very much yourself. You're the same way, it appears to me anyway, as you are when you're doing your various classes in the treadmill or with the weights. And there's another place where authenticity is important because lack of it is instantly sniffed out and sensed and called, and that would be in front of a classroom. Ooh. And you have experience <laughs> in front of 27 kindergartners. And even at that age, if you're not yourself, if you're trying to put one over on them, they sense it. So what did it go from, you know, you're very young at the, this point doing that, yes. but learning to deal with undisciplined, but fun, but chaotic <laughs> atmosphere in the classroom. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, so I graduated uh, from Trinity College in Hartford when I was 22 and I moved two weeks after graduation to Houston, Texas. And I taught fifth grade and third grade. And then to your point, I came up to New York and I taught kindergarten. And yeah, so, and I taught summer school. So you got baptized with training. third graders and fifth graders. You didn't start off with kindergarten. At least you had but kids who could tie their shoes. And <laughs> no, a hundred percent. The autonomy and the independence of fifth and third graders, tremendous. But the, who are you? How old are you? How long have you been doing this? I had to have, I'm 67 years old. I've been teaching for 24 years. I just moved here from, you know, I, I they knew I was from Boston. So I thought I moved from Boston, but you just had to have, it's interesting. I got advice and a lot of people struggle with this advice. They say like, oh, I don't agree with it, but I, I personally agree with it because I know it's worked for me is fake it till you make it. I'm not saying be fake, but you kind of have to be in the shoes and step into your power, even if you don't fully feel it yet yourself. So I knew that I was a teacher leader. There's no way that I would have been the captain of my basketball team for three years um, in college and a three-sport captain in high school at a huge school. There's no way that that would have happened. There's no way that I would have gotten Teach for America, which was very, very hard to get into, especially at that time, um, if people didn't think that I possess leadership skills and qualities that can bring success to children in an educational setting. So even on those days where I felt insecure, I had to be like, Jess, I know you're feeling insecure right now but believe in yourself because these kids' lives are depending on it. So you need to be the leader. You need to step into that power, even if you don't feel it today. So I kind of had that um, practice of just like, you gotta be confident. And when you're confident, the kids sit back and relax. When you're not confident, ooh, you can get eaten alive. <laughs> well, that's what I think is interesting. Look, all of us throughout every stage of life at one time or another, have to declare our credentials, have to reprove ourselves no matter what it is. But it's funny to hear you talk about how unfiltered kids are and how they're going to stand in front of you and like demand to know why they should listen to you. Why are you here? What have you done? And so to have to do that at a really young age 100%. To, some, some, uh, to a tough crowd is interesting. Yeah, and it's a delicate balance too because one of my favorite quotes Brene Brown always talks about not hustling for your self-worth. So you're not like, trying to show people like, hey, no, I belong to, I belong here. Like I'm, I want you to see that I'm worthy of this, but it's almost like you're, you're doing it for yourself because we're the, our biggest critics and we're our biggest doubters. Um, I, I know that about myself hundred percent. There's no one that can say something harsher to me than I've said to myself. And so the negative self-talk is where I need to fake it till I make it because deep down, I know I'm qualified to be here. So even if I don't feel it on that day, I need to step into it. Did you have to get through the phase of worrying about making a mistake. Mistake avoidance is a mindset that no one would say is where you want to be. That's not 
associated with the ultimate performance level. You got to get to the point where you, you filter out the fear of making a mistake and just do your thing. Has that been something that, that you've dealt with along the lines, whether it's being in front of a classroom or being in front of a Peloton class and then being on TV now? 100%. I mean, I still deal with it and mistakes and failure. And if people can't see, I'm doing, I'm using quotation marks. I don't really believe in failure. I think failure is feedback. And I also think it's relative. I think that's something that you consider a feedback in the present in five, 10 years, you can look back and say, wow, I know why I didn't get that at that time, because this would have changed my path and I wouldn't be here. So there's that, but I I'm embarrassed to say Chris that one of the toughest interview questions when I was applying for roles that people would ask is name a time that you failed or name a time where you made a mistake that you wish you could go back and change. And I didn't have an answer. And that is not a good thing. I'm not saying that to brag like, oh, I never failed at anything. As a matter of fact, I hope to have kids one day and I want to encourage them to fail quickly, to fail often, to fail fast. And because that's how you learn. And also that's how you don't hold yourself back because there are times where I've delayed going after something for fa- for fear of making a mistake. But I've learned that making mistakes makes you human. And that's what the world needs to see. We don't need to see the curated, perfect thing out there. We need to see people making mistakes, learning from it and getting better, making more mistakes, learning from it, going in a different direction. I think that that's what the world needs to see. They need to stop seeing perfect heroes. I think there's actually, was a comment? It was someone who said that, it, I think it was common who said when he learned that Martin Luther King had flaws, he loved him more. And I think that that is so huge. When you find out who you're here, when you figure out, oh, right, my hero is this person, find out what their flaws are. Find out what mistakes they've made and realize how empowering that can be for yourself. Why wasn't it easy for you to think of a time when you had failed? Did you reframe it after the fact? Did you just block it out and move on? Because it's interesting. I, I can certainly think of a few things that I would have answered to that question, including on the job when lack of humility was the failing that I had and mm. that balance between approaching something new with humility, but also confidence, because you have to project that as well. Sometimes getting that balance out of whack and getting publicly scolded in front of a newsroom when I was very new to the job and I absolutely had it coming. It was absolutely one of the most important moments in my TV career, not in front of a camera, but with 30 people who are veterans of the newsroom looking on and here's this kid fresh out of college getting scolded and he had it coming. Wow. No, I mean, I'm embarrassed to say, cause this was probably, this is in my low twenties is I didn't put myself in position to fail. I really didn't. Um, And so everything that I set my heart out for, I worked for and got, but I played it safe. I played it small. And that's one of the reasons why I considered my transition from education into fitness as do or die. Like I really, I really, really felt that. And it wasn't me being dramatic and, you know, anything like that. It was really like, all right, Jess, you can stay here. You've literally worked your way up from teacher to principal in six years. You got your master's in education. You're comfortable here. You're, you're more than comfortable here. You're thriving here. You're doing great. But are you truly happy? Are you really having the impact on this world that you know that you want to have deep down? And the answer was no. And it was, the thing that was separating me from that was myself, was me being afraid to fail, of, of making a mistake in front of people. And so when I started in fitness, um, I 
was on a microphone and I was petrified of it. There were no cameras yet at this point. I just taught in two boutique studios here in the city. But I was like, what if I stumble over my words? What if my count is wrong? What if I, I mess up the combination because I was teaching boxing? Um, there were a lot of times, but I ended up realizing that one of my superpowers is, is humility, is saying, y'all, I just messed that up. Like, wow, congratulations, Jess, I'm human. I just joined a big club of people that just, that also struggle with, you know, X, Y, Z. So I think that's how I've kind of stepped into that bit of vulnerability. Yeah, I do want to get into to pivoting, to reinvention, because it seems like you've done that a few different times. The moment you said when you realized you weren't happy being an educator, and by the way, when you're a principal at your age, and you're also a, a leader of teachers who have been at this for decades, I, I would think you're putting yourself in a position to potentially fail or where confidence is required. And and that's that's quite a responsibility. You're looked to for a lot of things from a lot of people, teachers, parents, and of course, of course, the kids. Um, what was the principal experience like and why did that sort of become the ultimate step that you took in education before deciding you need to move out of it? Yeah, so it's interesting um, because in education, oftentimes people think that there's a ladder to climb in order to get to being a principal. Now, I definitely think 100% that as a principal, it's ideal to have teaching experience so that you know what the teachers are going through, you know what the kids are experiencing on a daily basis, things like that. But I know some teachers that don't want to be principals and also wouldn't be great principals because they're different skill sets. It's a very different skill set. Um, and so I watched I the show realized, Abbott Elementary, so I'm yeah. familiar with it. <laughs> I don't know if your school is anything like that oh, yes. with the personalities and the politics, but that I show it is the, the principal teacher relationship is very funny there. Yeah, no, and of <laughs> course, of course. And like, there's also public charter private. There's so many nuances in all of the schools as well. Um, and locations. Cause I, I taught in Texas, um, New York and, uh, Massachusetts. So I also had like different experiences there as well, but, um, I, just realized so also in between teaching fifth grade third grade kindergarten i worked for teach for america in between um and i i got to work at summer schools and be an assistant principal and be a principal type that gave feedback and worked with families and things like that and i just love working with people and i am very very organized uh and i have this ability that where i can take something that's very complex and not dumb it down by any stretch, but make it more accessible just to everyone and anyone. And so I think that that's something that has brought me success in both the classroom, but also as an, uh, as an administrator. And so I was an operations director at a charter school here in the city. Um, but because I had teaching experience, they said, wow, we would love to have you help with kids and families. We would love to help you uh, have you help teachers and give them feedback on their class plans and lesson plans and things like that. And so it kind of morphed into this assistant principal role. And then um, I got a once in a lifetime opportunity to open up uh, a charter school in the Boston area where I grew up, uh, specifically in the city that I was born and the city that my dad was born and raised and where I played basketball and really started everything. And so I went back there and was an assistant principal. And that's when I had this aha moment, Chris, because everything was working beautifully. I was, I was, close to home, close to friends and family. I was in the community that I wanted to give back to in every way. Uh, the kids were amazing. The families were amazing. The teachers were great, everything. But there was still something missing. And I just think that at that time I realized I am most passionate and happy when I am helping people live happier, healthier lifestyles and starting with mental health and then 
getting people moving and eating well. And that's really where it all began. Well, there's great power and value to what you continue to do in your fitness career. I think, I think for me, the TV side of it, sometimes, although it's a job I've wanted to do since I'm 10 and I'm, I'm passionate about it and I love it and I'm grateful to have it on some levels is pretty silly. Um, and teaching is, is something that is viewed by many as a calling because you're having such a great influence in shaping young lives. And so it's viewed as very important, and it is important in our society. There aren't enough teachers, not enough good ones for sure. So when you leave that, were there people who said, oh, fitness, really? I mean, you're gonna go leave this, this, this calling of teaching and do something which is not quite viewed the same way, even though it has, as I said, great value and power to people. Were there, were there people right. who questioned that decision? or For sure, I mean, even my parents were like, it's funny, my mom always wanted me to be on TV. She's always, you know, like probably just like every parent wants their kid to be on TV. But she was like, yeah, you should be on TV. I'm like, mom, that's the last thing I want to do. Uh, but I was a psychology and Hispanic studies major. And I got my, like I said, I got my master's in education. And so I always felt like I wasn't leaving it forever necessarily. I could always go back to it. But it was just this, this urgency that I was feeling like, Jess, put yourself out there. There's a chance for you to have a bigger and better impact. Like sports have always played such a huge role for you. When you were super stressed as a first year teacher and you called your mom, the first thing my mom would say, have you moved your body today? And I'm like, oh my gosh. Cause I, I didn't even have to think about that before because I played sports my whole life. So of course I moved my body, but now as an adult, you know, re reassessing my workout routine. I never had to even think about that. Um, and then my sister, now sister-in-law sent me a book on meditation. And so I started reading that. It's a book called Wherever You Go, There You Are. And it, that was also my first year of teaching. And so I just realized how sacred mental and physical health is. Like you could, it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you don't have your mental and physical health, you don't have anything. And so that was really, really important for me to think about. Um, and so, like I said, I, I always, I told my parents like, you know, if this doesn't work out, I can always go back into teaching. But right now I want to um, continue teaching but just in a different setting. And I think that when I drew that parallel, because like you said, teaching, I believe too, is a calling. I think any a good teacher can teach anything, um, especially if they're passionate about it. And so I said, um, I am still going to use all of my experience of teaching uh, and just apply it to a new setting. And so when people ask me, Jess, do you miss teaching? Do you miss education? My, my answer is always, I miss the hell out of the families and the kids, but no, I don't miss teaching because I'm still teaching just a subject that I'm more passionate about. As a Peloton instructor, you have one of those jobs that connects with millions of people, but it's also one that at least hundreds of thousands of people watch. They go, I can do that. I, I like to be active. I can pep people up and they have no idea really what goes into it or the process of even getting selected by Peloton where the casting is elaborate, intense, and it's about like trying to get into Harvard. <laughs> yes yes 100 I mean, percent. in what, terms of the same odds <laughs> right but you know what, chris actually it's funny i actually don't get a lot of people that are like oh i can do that i, I get a lot of people that say how do you do that i'm literally at home well, that's more like it see that's puffing what they should puffing. say yeah yeah but i do <laughs> but i will say it has inspired a lot of people i've gotten a lot of messages saying you know whether it's the exact same path as me, I'm a teacher, but I love fitness. I'm super passionate. How did you get into Peloton? How did you get into fitness? Um, so I, there's definitely a lot of that, but it's, yeah, to become a Peloton instructor is definitely a rigorous experience. And like you said, it's casting. Um, they want someone for everyone in the world. So they're not going to hire two people that bring the exact same thing that have similar stories, anything like that. I think that's the coolest thing is when you really do a deep dive into the instructors, everyone's story is so different and so cool. Um, and so it's kind of like 
having your trainer certification, being knowledgeable about everything, that's kind of like the basic, like they don't even really worry about that when you're hired. Cause like, that's the least of their worries. Um, they, they want to, they want to not even have to worry about that. You need to be a great production partner. You know, we all have producers. Uh, we work with the marketing teams, the social teams, um, with the product innovation team with research. And there's so many teams that you work with and you have to be great with email and calendar and organization. And then there's photo shoots and there's press. And so it's, it's, it's a lot. And so whenever someone asks me, Jess, so wait, how many classes a week do you teach? And I'm like, well, you know, it's not necessarily how many classes, it's how many days. And I teach five days a week. And they're like, wait, that's amazing. So you only go in. So if you have two 30 minute classes, you're done in an hour. And I'm like, y'all, it is not that easy. No, no. Like the call time is an hour before uh, you get so much goes into it. I, we make all of our own playlists, our own programs. Um, we have meetings with our producers weekly. We have meetings, uh, instructor team meetings. We have workshops. We have, like I said, photo shoots. We, it's every week is so different. And that's why I love the job so much is I can have like a lower, uh, stress week, but then other weeks I'm, you know, slammed the whole day. People are used to seeing their instructors individually, not, not you guys together. So it's interesting to hear you talk about kind of the community of instructors. And the assumption is that, you know, whether it's, it's Alex Tucson or Riley Love, that, that, oh, they must ride their bike their whole lives every day. And now they're just doing it in front of a camera. But, but the way you describe different life experiences being brought into that, that job and reflected in how you guys instructed these interesting because it's not like everyone who you see in Peloton did that their whole lives and now they're just doing it in front of a camera. They did a whole lot of other things and bring it to the job. Correct. So everyone is just so, so different. So after Peloton, do you consider this a pivot into TV or is it just another expression of the same personality? Do you see yourself continuing as, a, as a, in the fitness world for a long time or it'll be a full-time transition to TV? Yeah, no. So I, I always say that I will retire from fitness at Peloton for sure. Like I just, Peloton is the best and it's the best job and I absolutely love it. And like I said, to have the impact on the world, specifically in 2020 to 2022, when we're all going through a global pandemic for the first time, um, has been an experience that I will treasure forever. And so I want to be here as long as I can. Uh, and then, of course, with ESPN, it's brand new. I'm so super excited to see where that goes. But yeah, I'm just surrendering to the moment and, and seeing where everything takes me. You know, so many people, when they pivot, aren't sure whom to listen to, whether it's the voice inside, the, the gut, the heart, whatever you want to call it, and, and the ways they try to arrive at that moment of clarity and stillness to make their own decisions versus the internal static, which is certainly part of it. You, you, you touched on that, sort of the, if there is a self-doubt or a lack of clarity about whether this is for you or certainly the external static, mm. well-meaning people who know you well, might even be wiser than you, more experienced than you in some ways, but they all think they know what's best for you. Right. And that's, that's not the case. Have you had to sort of find the stillness to, to tune out the static, whether it's from within or from outside? Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like I keep my circle very small and I really have been very good about setting boundaries, uh, even with family um, specifically. What does because, that mean? Because 
just because we think family, oh, because someone's family, they should have, you know, access. They Whenever they call, you have to answer the phone. And it's like, no, you actually don't have to do that. You don't have to do that because you're an adult and you have a busy life and things like that. And you don't know how things are going to affect your energy. And energy is very, very important. And it can shift so quickly from a text, from an email, from answer, whatever it is. Um, so I would say that I keep my circle small. I ask specifically for feedback. Um, like sometimes I'll call a friend and I'll say, I don't need advice. I need you to just listen. I need, I need to vent. And it's like, okay, cool. Got it. And I try to do the same thing. Cause it's important. Cause sometimes when someone calls you, if they just want to vent and you give advice, you're going to shut your friend down or your family member down. But if they're like, if they set the tone and say, Hey, I just need to get this off my chest. You just listen. You say, I got you. Um, so I think that that's something that's very important. Number two, I really try to reach out to people that are in the arena with me. Another Brene Brown um, quote or Teddy Roosevelt quote, but from Brene Brown uh, who made it super popular where I don't, I try not to get bogged down by people who are not doing the work with me that don't understand what I'm trying to build, that don't see what I'm seeing. And so unless you're like-minded in that sense, I don't want your feedback. I don't want your help. Uh, so I think that that's something that I've been working quite a bit on with my life coach. You have a life coach who's, who's a regular, provides regular every feedback week. and wisdom. I, yep. Every Monday I talk to her and she's, she's incredible. I, I, I had a therapist for years and I just, I transitioned to a life coach, which I was skeptical about at first. I was like, Hmm, what's the, what's a life coach? And just like anything, you know, so anyone can say that they're a life coach, but it, depends on, you know, it's things like that. So anyways, so I vetted her out. We had this amazing session. Um, and it was like a two hour long session. And I said, can we follow up? And she's like, yes. And so I followed up with her the next week and she's been stuck with me now for two years. So as someone who is very much an amateur life coach, but likes to give ideas as opposed to advice and, and tries not to do it unsolicited. I'm curious about your ability seemingly to see the opportunity and get excited about that as opposed to being fearful of the obstacles. And I think I, I try to explain, if you can see the opportunities, and first of all, clear the static and be open to the opportunities the universe presents every single day and every moment, which is hard if you're cluttered. It's hard if, hard if the static is there. If you can be excited about those, it gets in the way of being fearful of what might happen or the obstacles or the potential pitfalls, but it's not easy to do that. No, it takes time. It does. And my life, co my life coach calls those gremlins. And so my gremlin, I, she has a name and everything. Her name is Gertie. I'm going to tell you her, my gremlin, cause I love alliteration. <laughs> um, Gertie loves logistics, Chris. So I can, I can see something, I can have an opportunity, but the second Gertie grabs hold and it's like, well, how are you going to do that? You have two dogs. You, are you how are you going to, how are you going to fly over? You don't have a ticket for that. And then if you don't do that, then how are you going to do your Peloton class? And then I start to worry. And then I start to say, okay, wait, uh, 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 versus, okay, what do I have in my power? What do I have control over? And how can I ask for help in whatever area that I need? So it's ways of quieting down that gremlin who loves logistics and who loves to have me worry because then that keeps me small. My gremlin loves to keep me small. And so that's something that, and don't get me wrong, I'm not great at this all the time. I just had a conversation with her. Um, okay, I'll give you a live. I was sick last week. I got a 24 hour stomach bug right before our game day, two days before. I had to move my flight and everything. 
Wasn't sure if I was going to be able to go. It happened right after my Peloton classes. I puked right on the street. It was great. Um, and I was super, <laughs> super sick. And then I was better in 24 hours. Like it's, as quickly as it came, it left. I did the show, had a great show, flew back. And Sunday I got to relax and watch the NFL all day. And then last night I, I started to get anxious. I was like, well, am I doing too much? Wow. Was it because, is it because I'm traveling too much and I have my Peloton classes and that, ugh, should I slow down? Oh, well, wait, what if that, what if that was more than just a stomach bug? What if that is, and I just started spiraling and I got on the phone with my life coach this morning and she was like, it was Gertie. Gertie's like, whoo, okay. She's sick. This is the time where I'm going to tell her she's doing too much and you know, this and that. And that's where that sense of anxiety that pit in my stomach comes from. But the second I can kind of clear that out, mantras work so well for me. So whenever Gertie starts to creep in, I start to say, okay, um, I thrive under a lot of stimulus. I thrive under a lot of stimulus. So whenever I start to think, am I doing too much? I thrive under a lot of stimulus. That's something that keeps me. That's interesting. I mean, then you have to sort out whether or not it's Gertie or just some other part of your soul saying, Hey, Jess, this is some common sense. I mean, yeah, you, you could frame it as anxiety or fear and put it in the, in the box of the gremlin, but it's hard to know sometimes because sometimes you're in a voice telling you you are doing too much. You do have to slow down. Trust me, when you get to 60, you're going to, you're going to pay attention to that voice a little bit more because sometimes it's just common sense. And right. You, you, know, you yeah. need to check yourself. A hundred percent. But Chris, this was coming after, um, I had, I was off last Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So I had three days off. I didn't have game day and I didn't have Peloton stuff. And so I knew, and, and here's the thing about me too. If I'm not working, I am completely decompressed at home. Like I am not on. <laughs> so I know how to preserve my energy so that I can do what I need to do. Um, again, the boundaries piece, like if friends say, Oh, you want to go grab, go grab dinner. I'm like, it's going to be a loud restaurant. I'm going to be, you know, like there are things that I can prevent in order to keep myself sacred and safe. And so this week, no, but it, any other week, maybe, but I'm, I'm pretty good at discerning between whether it's my inner voice or whether it's the gremlin. All right, warning listeners, I'm going to pivot to fitness because uh, that is something that for me is a, is a passion. I, I view fitness as wellness, and increasingly I view wellness as longevity, which is important. So it's not something I have to do, it's something I get to do. But you deal with people all across the range of spectrum who maybe are just sampling Peloton and they're not really sure this is for them. To those who are like, yes, hardcore, I'm taking four classes today. They don't need the same kind of motivation. But I've heard you say pretty often that movement is medicine. I love that. It's medicine isn't always have a positive connotation. Sometimes it's something you have to take, but how do you frame it as something that you get to take and something that, that is, is good for you and a movement of any kind fits into that. You don't have to grind for 60 minutes. It's just sometimes get out of the chair and walk around the block. Right. hundred percent. I say, if you're having a bad day, move your body. If you're having a great day, move your body. If you're having an okay day, move your body. It is healing at all levels. Um, and it's interesting because for me specifically, as a former athlete, um, you don't have to, you get to stemmed from that and from two different things. One, uh, we had a timed mile every year on November 1st uh, for basketball and all of us were sick to our stomachs over it. We're like, we never run a mile. Like this is such a mental mind game that our coach is playing. And she admitted it, it was, and it was for mental toughness. So it wasn't really explained that way until, you know, girls were throwing up at the track. 
uh, before it was going on, but you didn't have to, you know, run at a guard's pace, a forward's pace, things like that. You had to just beat your personal bets from the summer. And, you know, with adrenaline, that's 100% doable. Like that's, that's 100% fine. But we were so in our heads about it. And so ironically enough, the fastest girl on the team, she was running under, uh, like, it was like five something. And she was the only girl that did not beat her time. And she had to go back to the track and we all went to support her every day. And so I, I think she had to run it like five days in a row. And she literally wrote in Sharpie, you don't have to run, you get to run. So that was a reminder for her of like, this isn't a punishment. And oftentimes as former athletes, we, we thought of running as punishment. You lost, you, you're, you're, you're being lazy on the court, you run. You're late, you run. Um, but we need to start shifting that. It's not punishment to move because God forbid, God forbid we get hurt and we're out for a week, a month, a year, eternally, we miss what we had the freedom to do before. And so I think that it's so important to get in touch with your body, to know yourself, to know, wow, my shoulders are tight. Wow, I should foam roll my quads. Wow, you know, when I was walking, my Achilles was a little bit tight. We need to know ourselves as well as we know what's going on in the news, what the Kardashians are doing. What, you know, any of that. Do we need to know that? (laughs) We need, but that's it. No, but think about it. If someone says, oh, you could, you couldn't ask me anything about, I don't know anything about them, but if any other celebrity, we often know more about our famous, our favorite celebrity than we do about ourselves. And that's not good because we need to know how we are in this moment, because if we don't, how are we going to ask ourselves, what do we need? If you don't know what do you yourself, want people to learn about themselves, Jess, through, through Peloton, through the classes? What do you want them to learn about themselves? Want, number one, their strength. I want everyone to know their strength. We all possess this strength, physical, mental, emotional, professional, everything. We have to tap into it and we have to practice it. Just like anything. How do you get strong? How do you literally get strong with your muscles? You have to give it some sort of load or some sort of resistance so that there are micro tears in the muscle. So don't be afraid of the micro tears in life because that signals, hey, we need everyone, we need to pack in that that protein. We gotta, we gotta repair those muscles. And then what happens when you repair? You get stronger than you were before. So it is what your body is doing is literally what we want to do and what we want to practice doing in life. Because guess what? Life doesn't get any easier. Life is challenging. It's one obstacle after the next. But when we are practicing to do hard things by doing hard things. That's what I want people to get out of working out with me. Sometimes just showing up is half the battle. What, what is the message to people who find it much easier to be sedentary and be static than to, to get up and get going and, and just whether they're stuck or stalled, it doesn't have to be in fitness. It could just be in life and, and, and anxious about that because the anxiety often follows being stuck somewhere, of, not knowing what's of, next. One of my favorite mantras that I have in my wall in the other room is once doing one small thing can completely shift your day. And that thing is almost always movement for me. It might be, I might get up after reading or, you know, being at my desk for a while and I'll just foam roll or I'll stretch or I'll take a, a 10 minute hips flow um, on Peloton, which I love. I love the hip focused yoga flows um, because that can give you the, the mental space and clarity that you need from in space from what you were just doing, but also your body reacts to that. Like we hold emotions in our hips. We hold tension in certain places. Like I know I hold a lot of tension specifically in my left hip, but I know a lot of people hold tension in their upper backs. And 
So when we are aware of that, when we know better, we can do a bit better there. So I think that that's something that's really, really important. People listening can't tell, but there's a special guest. And, and I guess it's if they see your, class, you, your, your dogs are frequently, they, they show up at, <laughs> at certain moments and, and they seem to know when you're giving off this, like, I don't know, performance energy, whatever it is, they want to be in the room. <laughs> Always. No matter, well, this one, this, this little one is Shiloh. This is my little boy. He's like my shadow. I wish people could see it this. Yeah. You've got, you got two dogs there on the bed. Yeah. Oh, and this is, yeah, that's Sienna and that's her bed. This is the guest room. This is, this is really essentially uh, where she stays. Yep. <laughs> well, it's nice that you have those companions to come home to. That'll, that'll help keep you grounded when your head is spinning and you're doing all these classes and you're traveling for a game day to come home and be able to, to There's nothing better. dog. There is nothing that I literally just hold on to their faces and just like kiss their noses nonstop because if there's nothing better. You talked about something last week when we were, we were setting this up about having sort of a six year cycle or having these almost rhythmic pivots in your life where you're shifting, if not leaving one thing, you're at least taking on something new. And do you see yourself going forward? This is unknowable, but do you see yourself having these periodic pivots, Jess, where you're going to always continue to branch out and, and search for a fork in the road that looks interesting? Yeah, well, to your point, yeah, it's hard to, to predict the future, but I'm a very naturally curious person and I love learning. And so when you pair those two things together, it's bound for new experiences. So I definitely think that I'll continue to grow and, and flow in different directions, but I'm so happy where I'm at. I, I really feel like like you said before, and I totally agree with this, is like we are most powerful when we are authentic. And so being in spaces that not only allow my authenticity, but promote my authenticity. Uh, when I started at Peloton, Dennis Morton said, Jess, I've never worked at a place that has asked me to be more Dennis Morton than I'm already than I already am. And I think that's so true. And same thing with ESPN is I, I think that one of the things that calmed me down once I got, you know, the offer, I was like, Oh my gosh, it's football. Like, are they, what, what do I need to do? Blah, blah, blah. Like, and I had that a little bit of imposter syndrome and question myself, a bunch of the people that are on the team take my classes. And they said, Jess, this is the perfect marriage. We know what you bring. We want that Jess juice. We want that authenticity, that energy, and we want you to apply it to game day. And we know that you can do it because we, we take your classes. We see what you're capable of. And like that kind of confidence and that sort of experience breeds that, you know, you said a really important word, curiosity. And I'm not surprised that you embody that you, you try to get anybody you teach to have that same mentality, whether it's a kindergartner or someone in your class, that is a common trait that time and time again, really successful people, however success is defined for them, list as an important quality, curiosity, because mm -hmm. you ask questions, you're eager to learn, you're less inclined to fear trying something new and, and changing courses because you have that naturally within you. Um, curiosity, yeah. I, th I think it's played a huge role for you, it seems like getting where you are. Yeah. And I'll never forget too, in Cheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In, she said, um, it's not necessarily about your experience with things. Because I remember applying for things and saying like, oh my gosh, it says I need five to 10 years experience. Oh, it says I need this and things like that. And I used to be deterred by that. But in her book, she said, it's not about your year's experience. It's about your ability to learn quickly and to contribute quickly. 
And those are two things that I have really taken with me. I'm like, okay, I might not know everything right now, but how can I learn quickly and contribute quickly in these new scenarios that I'm in? When you're mindful and you live it day to day and, and don't live in the past or the future, is it easy for you to, to imagine where you might end up with this? Do you spend any time thinking about the future? Because you, one of the things you've clearly done is you have not looked for security. You look for flexibility and freedom, which I think many people get locked into security being the most important thing. I, I, I don't speak from someone that has kids to put through college, so my experience might be different than some, but, but always making sure that you have flexibility in life and freedom has always been more important than security. Mm. How do you, how do you say that? And I, that's interesting because I used to have the opposite. Like when I was in education, that's why I think that do or die thing was so important to me because I remember having my whole life planned out. I was going to be a principal for a few years. I wanted to be a superintendent. I wanted to get my doctorate at Harvard. Um, I wanted to get into policy change and law and I had everything all planned out. And you know what they say about when you have a plan, everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the face. And I got punched in the face when I realized, okay, you're playing it small, you're playing it safe. And that's, that's what changed it for me. I was like, okay, wow. Like maybe having control over everything is not the way to go. Maybe it's going where things feel good and I'm learning and I'm growing and I'm appreciated and I'm contributing. And if I continue along that path, how could I be steered wrong? Yeah, you're a great embodiment of the idea that, you know, life, if it's like a river, better just to flow with it and, and, and see where it goes. And I, I often talk to young people about the futility of having these long range ironclad plants. It's okay to have goals. I, I believe in, in, in directions more than goals and, and, and sometimes not even, not even a path. It's just a direction because the path isn't even clearly defined. But, um, but yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see where the flowing river of life takes you, Jess, because there's probably a lot, a lot of things where the, your skill set and your talents and your experience could, could end you up a lot of places. Oh, thank you. That is so kind. I received that. And yeah, it's, it's being ready. And this is another thing that I've, I've realized in the last like year or so specifically is being ready is a decision. It's not a feeling. And I, and I think I have to be very careful about my words. I think that I spent so much of my life not feeling ready and thinking that that was good enough. And it's not about that because feelings are so temperamental. They change and they, you know, and, and you can't, and you change. And so I think that when you make the decision, okay, I'm ready for this. How could you go wrong? Wise words. There's a lot going right for Jess Sims these days. I really enjoyed our conversation and learning more about her journey. Thanks, as always, to my co-executive producer, Jennifer Dempster, and to the team at Octagon for editing the episode. Please rate, review, subscribe, and check out our many great archived episodes. I'll talk to you soon with more Season 5 of Fowler Who You Got.